Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Real quick, the word repentance. What does it mean? Uh, for some people, just a real working definition of repentance is making a U-turn. You were going in this direction, which was the wrong way. You, you turn around, you make a complete turn and turn and you go the other direction. Uh, a verbal, a, a, a more of a, 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 I guess a more complete definition of repentance it's a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. So repentance, biblical repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. In today's message, Pastor Bill will share with you a biblical accurate definition of repentance. Repentance is a word that means to say that we're sorry for any wrongdoing that we may have done. While that's an easy definition, this isn't always so easily lived out. With sin usually comes shame. We don't want to repent of our sins because then we take ownership of something that we already own. Our repentance can't just be only an action. You have to repent in your heart just as much as in your actions. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7 as he continues his message, Real Repentance. If you wear an outfit that's ugly, ladies, and you go to one of your straightforward friends, and you say, how does this look on me? That's terrible, take it off, that don't fit, it's wrong here. I, I, I. Some of you guys will be like, thank you for telling me the truth. Take it off and go put on something more appropriate. But some of y'all be in your feelings. You hurt, you're, you're, your feelings hurt. You don't have to say it like that. You could have just said, maybe not that outfit, you know? Well, Paul wouldn't be a good friend for you. But Paul's going to tell you, take that mess off. It's not working. So he's very straightforward in that way. And so he said, well, look, in, 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 in fairness, as I'm bold in my speech to you, I'm also... Also boasting you guys, you know, as as there are positives coming forth, I, I boast on you guys. I'm, I'm bragging on what God is doing. He says, I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all tribulation. And, and here's a point, too. In the midst of all this, right, Paul is somewhere under persecution. But like it is many times, some of Paul's letters he wrote from prison. This letter he wrote while he's he's under persecution. But his thoughts are with the church. He's thinking about the Corinthians. He's thinking, he's, I'm, I'm right now going through it. But it's comforting my heart to hear how you guys are doing. It's comforting my heart to, to hear or to experience or to see, you know, what's happening here. And so um, I think this is interesting for us as believers, that there could be times when maybe you're under, uh, you know, warfare and there are things happening. What is it that you take comfort and joy in? Uh, I think sometimes God's like, man, the, the comfort, the joy you're going to take is in, is in what I'm doing, despite what you're going through. There have been times where since we started the church and got going, my wife and I will sit back and we're like, man, we're having we're going through warfare. Things are happening, but we'll come Sundays or we'll come other nights and we'll look at what God is doing in individual people's lives. And we'll just we'll talk about those things like, you know what? It's worth it. Like if whatever warfare is happening over here, but look at what God's doing. And sometimes the comfort comes in looking at what God's doing, letting that become the focus. But look at what he's doing. Um, and that's something for all of us to, to know. There always be things that are kind of being worked out. Um, and when you're in a place where you're looking at things that are kind of going awry or difficult, um, it, it'd be healthy to have a mindset that's able to look and look. But look at what, what's God doing? While this is happening, okay, the, the, this thing took place, but what's God doing? And um, that we would have that in our mind. Paul said, I'm, I'm, I'm comforted. I'm exceedingly joyful in the midst of all this tribulation, look at verse five now. He says, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. So I want you to, 
I try not to read this real fast because we can kind of miss what's happening. Um, Paul said, look, when we went to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. If your body had no rest, how are you going to be feeling? So just keep that in mind for anybody here. Some of y'all with new babies. <laughs> y'all know. Yeah, like, I, amen, Paul. Bodies had no rest. Um, <laughs> it says, but we were troubled on every side. So when I'm not getting a rest and I got trouble on every side. So add that to that. Add, add, add lack of rest to trouble on every side. Then he says, outside were conflicts. So people coming at us from outside. Inside were fear. So he says, outwardly, people are coming at us. Inside, I got my own fears and anxieties that I'm dealing with. That's the condition that Paul is in. He's like, man, I, I got, you know, no sleep, you know, trouble coming from every side. Outside, people coming at me. Inside, I got fears and things that I'm feeling. And in verse six, he says, nevertheless, but anyway, nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And this is important, right? Paul said, look, all that's happening. I'm not I'm tired, not getting sleep. They're coming at me from outside, coming at me from every direction. I got fear on the inside. But, but then Titus came and it comforted me. Paul had been concerned since, uh, you know, earlier. It was, it was uh, earlier from um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, where Paul has been waiting on this arrival just to hear that Titus got where he was going safely and that things are going okay. And so he just, man, I was comforted. God comforted us by the coming of Titus. And I just paused. I read that and I thought, you know, if we were going through this kind of warfare, you know, are we comforted to hear what God is. Could, could, could there be comfort in our life in the midst of God? Didn't Paul didn't say I was comforted because I finally got a good night of rest and the warfare ceased. He didn't say that. He didn't say like everything was better. They stopped bothering me. My fear went away and I finally got a couple good nights sleep. Now I'm feeling all right. He said I was comforted because Titus came. Brother in the Lord came. He's okay. He's got word back from the Corinthians of how they received the letter that I wrote. And I'm Paul's like, I'm I'm so wrapped up in what God's doing that I'm finding comfort in these things. My brother Titus, he's good. The Corinthians are doing better than I had expected. Here Paul said, man, I'm, I'm God's comforted me through that. Why do I point this out to us? Sometimes we want we want to tell God how to comfort us. Sometimes that's how our prayers sound like. Something bad's happening, and we're like, God, fix that bad thing because this is making me feel bad. And instead of just saying, God, you're the God who comforts, would you comfort me in what I'm going through? However you want to do it. Sometimes God's it's not going to be direct. Sometimes God's like, I'm doing something so big through that negative situation that I want you to overcome that. I'm not taking that away. But I'm, I'm doing something bigger in you. And so sometimes God's not going to take those things away. He's going to let us overcome. He's going to let us deal with them. Let, let us go through them um, as bad as we want. You know, when people ask for prayer, um, I pray. So you pray for me. This Yes, we'll pray. But I don't always know what God's will is. You know, we always leave. The, the, we tag everything. God, your will be done. Maybe. Maybe God's will. Maybe God's doing something greater through the trial. I don't know. Uh, maybe God will be glorified and taking it all away. Um, that's that's his business. Um, but in this case, I just want to note that nothing changed. The warfare didn't stop. People didn't stop coming at him. He wasn't. He didn't, they didn't stop pressing from every side. He doesn't say that the fear went away. He just said, man, Titus came. I was so comforted. Minister to me that my brother Titus came. Um, I would point out the importance of Christian fellowship, um, the importance of iron sharpening iron just being with other people that believe and know the God that you know that there can be times there definitely been times in my life where just fellowshipping with another brother you know just nothing else changed but just 
talking, talking, praying, fellowshipping, coming together. Um, there's a strength that comes through that. A reminder that, you know, what you're dealing with is not strange. It's not odd. You're not the only one. Um, and you could just see someone encouraged and built up. I got a friend who just planted his church and two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And right away, just it just warfare came against him. Something happened to people came against his daughter. All this stuff started happening. And he called me on the phone and it was like, man, I, I, I was so glad to be able to share because me and Mika went through similar stuff. And I was so glad to be able to say, oh, man, let me tell you what was what happened to us and what happened here and what God did and and then pray with him. And it was like, I, I believe we got the phone. He was all better. He was ready to go. You know, um, nothing had changed. The people still had said bad stuff about his daughter. And, you know, the, the war was still out there to be had. But, you know, the work went on. And, um, you know, God wants us. to. I, I know God wants us to be people that overcome that we we press on through. And so um, he comforted us by the coming of Titus, verse seven. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he comforted. He was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me so that I rejoiced even more. And so when Titus came back, he's given Paul word on how did the Corinthians receive what was, you know, what was shared with them. So um, he said when he told us of your earnest desire, that means that you guys really wanted to, to grow. You guys wanted, there was an earnest desire to receive the things that were shared. He said, you're mourning. You guys were sorry about the sins that you were confronted on. That's an important thing. When you confront someone on their sin or you confront someone on what they're doing wrong, it's a great response when someone is like, man, that's, that's true. I need, I need help. I, I really want to do, okay, great. Then we run from there. What you don't want is for someone to say, that's not that bad. Who you judging me for? Why are you asking me about, you know, that's because that's some people's response. Mind your business, you know. So they weren't respond. Their response to Paul was a positive one. They were mourning, which is a proper response over our sin. He says, and in your zeal for me, that, that you guys love me, you guys you still, you guys have a zeal, a concern, a care for me. Paul said, "Oh man, I rejoice even more to hear that that things were well between us." And then verse verse eight. Now, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a little while. And Paul here is kind of lets us in his heart a little bit. Paul said that there was a moment where he was regretting he wrote the letter. He wrote 1 Corinthians. He sent it out. And maybe in that space of not knowing how they received it, there were moments where Paul was like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I went too tough on him. Maybe I was, he was, he was a moment where I did regret it. And he says, but not anymore. Now I'm glad. Now I'm glad I sent it. Anybody ever been there where you, you had to do something corrective and afterwards you're like, oh no, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have done that. You know, now for some of you, you ask the question, maybe I shouldn't have said that and you shouldn't have. <laughs> so that's, that's one category. You, you need to do better next time. Right. Um, but for some of us, there could be times where, you know, you, 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 when the result was bad or it wasn't received and you feel like, man, you know, maybe I shouldn't have or whatever. That's kind of what Paul is dealing with, but he should have. And it was good that he did. Um, but it, for me, I read that. I thought, okay, well, I think we all may feel that at times, just a uh, doubting that we went too far. I've done that with my kids, where I had to maybe correct the kid and sit down and talk, and 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 afterwards you're like, oh man, you know, is there another way to to? No, I don't know. There's another way to say that. Just it was just said, you know, and maybe it was tough or tough love or whatever. Uh, in either case, Paul says there was a moment where he he did kind of go back and forth. He says, though I did regret it. He said, for I perceive the same epistle made you sorry, 
um, though only for a while. And then verse nine, this is why I titled the message Real Repentance. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. And then he goes in verse 10 to say, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So real quick, the word repentance, what does it mean? Um, for some people, just a real working definition of repentance is making a U-turn. You were going in this direction, which was the wrong way. And you, you turn around, you make a complete U-turn and turn and you go the other direction. Uh, a verbal, a, a, a more of a, 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 I guess a more complete definition of repentance. It's a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. So repentance, biblical repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. So you could also say, it, you know, making a U-turn, but it starts in your mind. Repentance first begins in my mind that I agree with God that what I'm doing is wrong and that I need to stop and that I'm repenting. I'm going to stop. A lot of people confuse repentance with confession. Some people say, yeah, I, can, I, I repented. And I'm like, well, what, how, how did Because I, I mean, I'm looking at you right now and it doesn't look like you repented. So what is, how did you repent? I, you know, I, I told God I'm sorry and I, you know, I, I prayed and asked God and I just repented. You know, repentance is not something you can say. Some people think it is. I want to correct that today. You can't say repentance. Repentance is something you do. Um, you, can, you can speak your confession. First John 1 9, confess your sins to God. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unright. You can, you can speak your confession, but you can't speak repentance. Repentance is fleshed out. Repentance is that you stop doing whatever you were doing. If somebody slaps you in the mouth and says, I'm sorry, slapped you in the mouth. And they come back tomorrow and they slap you in the mouth. I'm sorry I slapped you in the mouth. <laughs> Your cheeks are so fast. You know, and, they, and every day they come back and say, I'm sorry, and they slap you in the mouth again. Have they repented? No. They've confessed. But that's, they, at, a, at, at a point, you can save your confession. You know, like that's, that's not working. It's not good enough for me. You know, spiritually speaking, some believers get real comfortable just confessing. I'm just going to keep confessing, confessing, confessing. God's called us to repentance. Um, so repentance is change, a change of behavior. You can't. You can't be content to go on the rest of your Christian experience confessing the same thing you've been confessing for 10 years. When are you going to repent? When are you going to do your part? When are you going to finally turn away from whatever that is and stop it? Because God's, God's given you everything you need to stop it. And you're, you're, the fact that you haven't stopped it is your unwillingness to submit or surrender to God. That's why you're still doing it. And so God calls us to repentance. Now, here's the difference from there's a, you know, I guess a fraudulent, a worldly repentance and a, a, a biblical repentance. Um, Paul said in verse nine, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Many people are sorry about their sin. Um, they're sorry about the ramifications. They're sorry about the results that sin brings. Because sin does bring bad results. You go out there and do some dumb things and eventually you reap what you sow. And when you start reaping what you sow, and it's like, I'm sorry I did that. That's not necessarily repentance. Even non-believers, you know, when I wasn't saved, if I went out there and, and if I went out there and stole stuff and got away with it, I didn't feel nothing. I actually felt like I won. Right now, if I went out there and stole something and end up in the back of a police car, I'm sorry I did that. Why did I do that? That's sorrow. That's that's remorse. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry for what my sin is about to cost me. I'm sorry for the ramifications. 
but I'm not necessarily sorry for my sin. You guys see the difference? The sorrow of, for sin that brings repentance is you might be sorry about something that nobody even knows about it yet. Man, I'm sorry I, I'm still behaving that way or thinking that way or speaking that way. And there's a, there's a sorrow that's between you and the Lord that, that, that brings you to a place of repentance. Godly sorrow work will eventually result in repentance. Worldly sorrow will result in hopelessness. It'll result in, you know, remorse, sorrow, and, and ultimately just hopelessness. My best, I guess, working definition, of, if I, I'm going to give you two scripture pictures, right? If you look at Judas Iscariot, um, he betrayed the Lord. He had been with Jesus the whole time the other disciples had been with him. He was one of the main guys. He was a money keeper. He, was, he had an important role, but he was a fraud the whole time. And he betrayed the Lord with a kiss for, for, some, for some silver. And afterwards, when he saw how they took Jesus away, the Bible says he was sorry. And he tried to go give the money back, right? But they wouldn't take it back. They said, take that blood money up out of here. They wouldn't take it back. He was sorry. He was maybe sorry for the results. Sorry for, oh no, they actually took him. Oh, they're gonna, you know, like he was sorry, but it wasn't a godly sorrow. What did he ultimately go out and do? Went out and hung himself, right? And that's that's what like worldly repentance. He didn't he, he didn't ever turn from his sin and have faith in God and repent of he didn't repent of being a fraud that whole time. He was just sorry for the result of what he did. And ultimately, in hopelessness, he went out and hung himself. Um, now, you know, I have to state he opened himself up for demon possession and other things that happened to him. But that was the end result. Now, Peter, Peter had a mega mistake, too. He, you know, Judas uh, betrayed the Lord. Judas, Judas, I'm sorry, Judas betrayed the Lord. Peter denied him. Peter, well, again, one of the main disciples. Um, one, one, I mean, you know, he was, he was one of the main ones. He denied that he even knew him three times. I don't even know the man. I swear I don't know him. You know, I mean, just adamantly, I don't even know him. And then the, the rooster crowed three times. Now, Peter was sorry, too. I'm sure he was miserable about what happened. But there was a sorrow that led to repentance. There was a different kind of sorrow. Peter was sorry for his sin. Jesus came back to Peter in his resurrected body and in the end of John's gospel and said, hey, you love me? He asked him three times, gave him three times to make it right. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. And he, he reinstated Peter. Now, did Peter ever deny the Lord again? No. Nope. He repented. There was, you don't see that behavior anymore. There was a change of behavior. As a matter of fact, as you get in the book of Acts with Pastor Clint is taking us through Sunday nights and Peter baptized in the Holy Spirit under the threat of death. Peter's like, man, we ought to obey God or man. Like, I mean, there's a different kind of boldness. There are times where Peter put it on the line like I'll, we'll, I'll get beat. We'll have to die then. But I'm going to go ahead and continue to preach this message that I'm preaching. So there was a change that took place in everybody here that's listening right in your life. Are there things that God will call you to repent of today? Is there, are there things in your life that God will say, why haven't you repented of that? I want you to change that behavior. Um, and if there are, here's, here's the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation just make you feel bad about your sin. You should stop doing that. You should feel terrible. Boo. You know, that's condemnation. You know, condemnation have you feeling like I'm not worthy. I don't even want to go be before God. That's Satan brings condemnation. Make you feel so bad you just quit. That's never from God. Um, conviction is different. Conviction causes us to feel about our sin the way God feels. And as you grow in your walk with the Lord, you'll start to 
Things that you, your, things your flesh loves. Your spirit will be, I hate that sin. I hate doing that. I hate, I hate that thing. I hate the result of it. I hate what it is. I start to feel about my sin the way God feels about my sin. And then I start looking for God to help me. Repent, repent. And that's conviction. Conviction will bring us to a place where we actually repent and overcome and have victory. And so that's what God wants to bring about in our life. God doesn't want, there's no victory for anybody here to walk out feeling bad. I feel really, after hearing that message, I feel real bad about what I've been doing. You know, so I'm just going to go do it again and not come back. You know, like that's not a win. That's not the goal. That's not the victory. Um, the victory is that God wants to work it from the inside out. I want you to realize how that thing is damaging you and how it may be damaging other people, how it brings distance and separation between us, how it conflicts with my will, my purpose, my plan for your life, your body, your mind, your spirit. And, and I want to bring you to a place where you lay it down. You repent of it. You turn away from it so I can have all of your life. And that's that's what God wants to bring about. And so Paul says, look, I, I, once again, verse nine and ten. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer the loss of nothing, um, the loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of this world produces death. And that's an important definition here. Right. In verse 10. Godly sorrow produces repentance. So if I'm sorry in a godly way it's going to produce repentance, which leads to salvation and not to be regretted. I won't be regretting the same stuff. So here's an important thing, too, when, when we're proclaiming the message of the gospel. Um, we can tell people, you guys can come however you are. You can come to the Lord in whatever condition you're in. But, but it would be wrong to tell someone, just come and stay that way. Just come, come to the Lord, and then just now you're good. You know, um, part, of when, and, you know part of the preaching of the gospel, we are calling people to repent. We're calling them to, to change. Um, to make a U-turn, to change your whole life. is When you come to God, your whole life, I'm saying, God, I've, I've been the Lord of my own life. Now you're going to be Lord. That requires repentance. That requires a U-turn, a major change of events in my life. I'm no longer in charge. I'm believing that Jesus Christ died for my sins, rose from the grave and wants to live inside me. And I'm inviting him in to be the Lord of my life. I'm surrendering to him. That's going to result in transformation, change, repentance. I'm called to repent out the gate. Um, and then we'll grow in that as you continue to walk with the Lord. You know, God is nice. I think the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, he'll, he'll put a finger on a few things at a time. And, and as you grow and transform and change, and there'll be new things that God put a finger on in our life. And it's a continual process. We're continuing to grow in our relationship with him. But repentance is something out the gate. You write notes. Write down Matthew 3, verse 2. And when John the Baptist was preaching, that was his whole message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Was his message over in Matthew chapter four, verse 17, when Jesus began preaching, he told people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn, turn from your sin and turn to me um, because the, the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the early part of the book of Acts, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, uh, Acts 238, he told the people to repent. Um, and Acts 319, Peter said, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And so that times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. And so um, throughout the New Testament, people are called not just to come and receive, but also to repent and turn. And so we want to we, we want to follow suit. So moving on, uh, verse 10, the last part again, it says, so godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, 
But in contrast, the sorrow of this world produces death. And again, I look at um, Judas as a prime example of, of that. Just the, the sorrow of this world, it produced death. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Today's message from the book of 2 Corinthians is available to listen to again on our website. Just visit calvaryinglewood.org and click on teachings. Otherwise, you can download our mobile app to listen to more messages. Search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest information on service times and locations. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. As we looked into the book of 2 Corinthians, has it caused you to think about whether you honor your leaders? It's clear in this book that Paul felt disrespected as a leader, and there were some who did not make it a joy for him to serve in leading them. God calls us to honor and respect the leaders God has put in place. Supporting those that God has positioned over you to shepherd you can bring about a great sense of godly unity. In fact, think about sending an encouraging note or message to those who are in a leading or shepherding position in your life. If you've noticed that this ministry has been a blessing to you, we're glad that we can be a part of that. Would you be praying for a transforming word? As the message goes out, many listeners may be hearing about the Lord for the very first time. Pray for open ears, soft hearts, and changed lives. Thanks for your support of a transforming word.